Get ready to hear the truth about America on a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. All right, welcome to the Dan Bongino Show. Producer Joe, how are you today? Man, it's Friday, so I'm doing rather well, Dano. Yes, and it's going to be a stacked day for us. Folks, I know a lot of you are tuning in eagerly anticipating the George Papadopoulos interview. It is going to happen, uh, but it is not on this show. Let me just lay out for you. Forgive me for the extended open today. I usually get right to the material, but it's important I lay out some logistics. Um, I I want to run the show commercial-free with Papadopoulos. We are going to record it later with George at about 6 p.m. Eastern time, so you have a timeline. Today's show is going to be my regular podcast. I please encourage you to listen to this, too, because I am going to set up the reasons why we are interviewing George and a little background on the case that some of you who are new listeners may be missing along with news of the day. Um, so don't miss today's show. The other show, Joe is going to work at a feverish pace. I assure you, he doesn't know any different. We are going to get it out this evening. Now, you may say, why would you release that on a Friday evening? Well, the reason is it's going to be a special show. We don't typically do guests. We're making an exception because of the importance of George Papadopoulos' information. We have questions I believe nobody else has asked yet. Uh, and I want you to have the weekend. Friday evening, if you choose, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday morning before we release our regular show to digest it commercial free. So please listen to today's show, which will be the setup. Listen to the interview show tonight, the weekend, or on Monday morning, or wherever you choose your call. Uh, But that's why we're doing it that way. So again, forgive me for the extended open, but uh, we will be doing that show commercial free later. In addition to today's show, uh, we are Joe and I are not making any money off it. We're doing it exclusively for you. Uh, it is, uh, that's just because we want to do that. Um, secondly, uh, folks, listen, I was at a book signing last night in Vero Beach, the Vero Beach Book Center, and I, I want to sincerely, from the bottom of my heart, thank everybody who showed up. We had a number of Dan Bongino Show listeners. The place was packed. If you'd like to see the pictures, they are on my Instagram. I am dbongino on Instagram, at just like my Twitter, at dbongino. Um, it was, I mean, packed, like literally packed. Like there was standing room only in the top layer of the place. So uh, I was honored that you all showed up. The, the questions were fantastic. But at the event, a, a, the family of a friend of mine showed up. Uh, and folks, I haven't spoken to Joe about this before the show. We had a, an incident, if you saw me on The Five in the Secret Service a long time, if you may have saw me on The Five where I highlighted this, uh, The Five on Fox News and the One More Thing section. We lost an American patriot. He's been been gone from us for a little more than a, over a month now. Yeah, I remember. And uh, I, yeah, I know Joe knows. I told him about it, but I was hesitant to bring it up on the show um, uh, af- in detail after the death of Noel uh, Remagen because I, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to ask you of a lot. You listen to my show. I'm honored to have you here, and I don't want to be one of these hosts that's constantly asking things of his audience. You, you should just be able to just show up and listen to the show um, relatively pain-free, right? Um, but I'm, I'm going to ask you for a favor. Uh, a friend of mine, this family showed up last night at the book signing, Colin Johnson. I used to call him the Eclipse. He was a Secret Service agent, a former Marine, and an American patriot. The family showed up last night and wanted to thank me for what I did on The Five, and I, 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 was, I wanted to thank them for giving us Colin. He was an American hero. He was a Secret Service agent I, I, I served with. Um, he was one of the finest men I ever met. He was a United States Marine officer. Uh, he died in a really horrific way, folks. He was about 6'4", six, 6'5". He was about 270 pounds of muscle, and he was the finest, one of the finest Secret Service agents I ever met. I called him the Eclipse because he used to block out the sun everywhere he went. He was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and given the warrior, and I mean the warrior that this man was, the doctors told him, listen, you may want to just, you know, say goodbye to your, it's hard to talk about. I'm sorry, folks. Just bear with me for a minute. I really appreciate your patience, but this is an important story to me because his family last night was devastated and they showed up at the event. I was heartbroken too because his brother showed up and looked exactly like Colin and I couldn't get it out of my head. He was diagnosed and he was a warrior, Joe, and they told him, you know, you may want pancreatic cancer at that stage he was in was deadly. He had back pain and he couldn't figure out why. And instead of just going home and saying goodbye to the family, he chose to fight it. He thought he was going to be that one out of uh, a thousand that gets that makes it through, Joe, mm-hmm. because that was Colin. That was Colin Johnson. That's who he was. Uh, he couldn't. Nobody could fight it the way it was. He died just basically weeks after the diagnosis. He he passed. He when he passed, he had lost uh, over a hundred pounds. He was a, a shell of his former self. 
but he insisted on fighting it to the end because he wanted to be there. He's got two young kids and a family. Um, the family was, I, I, I get it, folks. I know I got emails last time about Noel. Um, I know that, that he worked for the federal government. Of course, there's going to be some package of benefits there, but I'm just asking you if you wouldn't mind. It's not, you know, this guy, Colin was not, he was not an old man. This guy had 15, 20 more years of income and a pension for the rest of his life. If, if you wouldn't mind, and it's up to you, I know financial times can be tight for some. I'm putting the link for the GoFundMe on my show notes today. It'll be at the website. It'll be the first link. Um, if you wouldn't mind, I know for Noel Remage and you raised over $300,000 for the family. Again, it's not enough to bring Noel back, but it was the generosity of you, my listening audience, was amazing. If you wouldn't mind, $5, $10, whatever you have, it's a legitimate GoFundMe set up by Colin's family. I wouldn't send you, send you anywhere else. Um, if you wouldn't mind opening up your hearts a little bit, I, I would deeply appreciate it. It would mean the world to me. So thank you um, very much. Um, all right, folks. Uh, thank you. Colin was a good man. He was, his loss meant a lot. And seeing his family last night really, really got to me. So check out that GoFundMe. Um, did you see Mark Levin's appearance last night on, uh, on Sean Hannity? Ladies and gentlemen, if you missed it, um, it was epic. I retweeted it on my Twitter feed at DBongino. But uh, I... I I was so touched by it. I wanted to talk about it quickly before we start the show today. Levin, who is a, is a personal friend and hero of mine in this movement and probably the most brilliant conservative I know. I don't drop names often and I don't do that to sound impressive, but Levin is a warrior for the cause. Um, he showed up on Hannity last night and Sean gave him the floor for about three minutes and Levin uh, just... I mean, one of the most inspirational things I've heard in a long time, the gist of what he said, given the midterms coming up, uh, folks, is profound. And you need to take this, uh, take this away. He said, listen, if you are tired of being called a racist, if you are tired of having your character slandered and defamed by liberals, if you are tired of being called all these awful names, being attacked endlessly, if you are tired of this Antifa stuff, of being accosted out in public, if you are tired of being insulted and called incompassionate and anti-immigrant and anti-black and anti-Hispanic and anti-all this stuff, all slanderous, and in some cases libelous and slanderous labels um, pinned on you, then you have to get out and vote. Folks, it's not a, I'm not Tony Robbins here. Again, I'm not trying to give you some inspirational speech. I'm just telling you Levin was right. And if you missed that appearance, please go watch it. If you are tired of this, as I am, please, I'm begging you if, with every fiber of my soul, Please save the House and save the Senate. Every election right now is critical. There is no, this is the most important election of my lifetime because every election from this point on is the most important election of your lifetime. If we lose the House, I'm, I'm tired of all these, I went on Hannity last night and I made a prediction, the same one I made on this show, Joe. I said, listen, we're going to keep this House by two to three seats, maybe four, if we're lucky, maybe one. It'll be by a sliver. And we are going to add three to five seats in the Senate. I said it on TV. I put my, uh, you know, I, I put it out there for everyone to see. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But folks, that requires you to get out and vote. There are absolutely no excuses. Please, I'm begging you to do this. Now, there's an article in yesterday's show notes about what's going to happen if we lose the House. I'm just going to summarize it briefly. There are three things will happen. You can guarantee it. Endless investigations into Donald Trump, given the subpoena power of the House, it will not stop. The Maxine Waters of the world are going to own the rest of this presidency based on these investigations. It is never, ever going to stop. Quickly, number two, you are going to see endless government shutdowns, which I think will be a disaster, by the way, for the left, because Donald Trump, if he wants to, sh if, if they shut down the government, because remember, the House of Representatives puts that budget out there. The president has to sign it, though. If the president doesn't want to sign an overspending bill, I think this blows, you know, blows the argument for the left. I think the president's bully pulpit wins out in the end. I know that because it won out for Obama, too. The press is not going to be able to avoid the fact that the House, if it's run by Democrats, passed an overspending budget. Third, impeachment's practically guaranteed. Now, they will lose badly in the Senate. It'll be a humiliating defeat. The president will not be thrown out of office. Make no mistake. But the impeachment will likely happen in the House and every Democrat will be put on the record about it. Folks, please, please, please get out and vote. I'm begging you. OK, again, my apologies for the long winded opening, but that show that stuff mattered to me, Colin uh, Levin appearance and the importance of you getting out and vote and telling you about the Papadopoulos interview tonight. Please tune in. All right. Today's show brought to you by our buddies at iTarget. Ladies and gentlemen, iTarget and the iTarget Pro system is the best way out there to improve your marksmanship hands down. Aye. 
Uh, when I, I when I was in, <laughs> I got yeah, I, I actually picked up on it. So when I was in law enforcement, they used to tell us to dry fire at the range a lot. That's when you take a safely unloaded weapon, check it, check it twice, check it three times. Um, you you safely unload, you pull the trigger on a safely unloaded weapon. Why would you do that? Because you get to work on your sight picture, your sight alignment, your grip, your control of the firearm without having to worry about recoil. Well, the problem with dry firing is the weapon is dry. There's nothing in it. So you have no idea where the round would have gone. The benefit of the iTarget Pro system is they will send you a laser round for the firearm you have now. No manipulations necessary. You have a 9mm, you have a, a 40 caliber, a 10mm, whatever it is. They will send you a laser round, which you insert into that safely unloaded weapon, and it comes with a target. When you depress that uh, trigger on the safely unloaded weapon, it'll emit a laser onto the target. Now you can see while dry firing safely, you don't have to worry about range fees, driving to the range, anything like that. You can see where the rounds would have gone. You will see after a week, your marksmanship will improve, improve dramatically. This is the best system out there. You will not be able to put it down when you pick it up. It works easily with this phone app, and you will see exactly where your rounds would have gone. I promise you won't be able to put this down. You can practice your barricade uh, firing, all kinds of things you, you know, at the range, which can get expensive at times. Remember, competitive shooters dry fire 10 times more than they live fire because they do it for a living and dry firing helps. Go to itargetpro.com. That's the letter I, targetpro.com. itargetpro.com and use promo code DAN for 10% off. itargetpro.com. Okay, more good news, ladies and gentlemen. Gosh, this couldn't have come at a better time, Joe. This morning, breaking news yeah. that the October jobs report comes out and a staggering that is not hyperbolic, folks. A staggering 250,000 jobs added in October, but it doesn't even end there. This could not have been more perfectly timed, this economic report. All right. 260,000 above estimates. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a staggering number, as Stuart Varney said accurately so on Fox and Friends this morning. Stuart Varney said, these are Reagan-esque numbers, 84, 85 numbers. And he's right. These are enormous job numbers. Now, I'm not going to spend that much time on it because you're going to hear about it all day on the news, but I want to give you the takeaways. Obviously, the top line number is huge. 250,000 in a healthy economy, uh, you know, anything between 100 to 200 is, is pretty good. 250 is staggeringly good. Above 250 is... Uh, is, is, is 1985, 84 Reagan, where we were growing at almost 6%. Folks, these are fantastic numbers. These are irrefutable. The Democrats right now are in a panic, and you may say, why? Isn't it for the good of the country? Sadly, not voting Democrats, not you out there listening, but the Capitol Hill Democrats don't care about what's good for the country. They care about the election. This has to be devastating for them. Some big takeaways from this number that you need to understand. The Democrats' argument up to this point, Joe, has been, oh, well, wages are stagnant. Wages are stagnant. Yeah. <clears throat> wages grew by 3.1%. Real wages grew too. What's the difference? This is important. You have to understand the Democrat arguments, ladies and gentlemen. First, you're going to say, let me just walk you through your, the, the, the argument you're going to have with your liberal friends over the coming days. By the way, I love it when people email me and say, hey, I was arguing with my liberal friends and you predicted exactly what they were going to say. Here's what they're going to say. First, you're going to say to them, hey, what a great job month. 250,000 jobs added. That is really spectacular. 60,000 above estimates. They're going to come back and say, well, wages are stagnant. You're going to come back and say, actually, they're not. Wages grew at 3.1%. That's a pretty healthy number. They're then going to come back and say, yeah, but inflation's still growing. You're going to say, yeah, well, real wages, which is wages minus inflation, are still growing by about 1%. So actually, your argument is wrong any way you cut it. You have nowhere to go. Follow me, folks. Follow me down the yellow brick road of liberal stupidity. Here we go. Donald Trump sucks. The economy sucks. Okay, we added 250,000 jobs. The economy still sucks. Wages aren't growing. Actually, they grew by 3.1%. Yeah, the economy sucks because real wages aren't growing minus inflation. Actually, they are growing. They're growing by about 1% when you factor out inflation. Ah, here's your liberal friends. Now, here's the answer, Joe. Folks, so I'm sitting here. I was going to say something, and then I'm like, you know what? I need Joe to do his thing. 
so we can see each other. And I'm like, I'm not going to tell him anything. I just give him this like bizarre look, like just do something here on the soundboard. And what does he do? He pulls up the cricket. And do you have the people will die compilation? That'll be next. That would be, that'll be next. After crickets, it's going to take them. So you'll hear the crickets for, I don't know, Joe, two to three minutes maybe. And then it'll be, you're a racist. And then it'll be, everybody's going to die. You're a racist and everybody will die. That'll be next. So remember, 250,000 jobs. Trump sucks. Wages no good. Wages are growing. Trump sucks. Wages aren't growing minus inflation. Actually, they are growing minus inflation. Real wages grew. Racist. They don't have anything else. You understand that? They don't have anything else. That crickets thing was funny. I just totally left that up to Joe. Thank you. I gave him a face and he just did his little thing there. But that'll be it. Crickets followed up by you're a racist. Guaranteed. Because that's all liberals. And, and just circling back to Levin, if you are tired of this and you are tired of being slandered, libeled, by lunatic liberals who have nothing else other than false racism charges. If you are tired of this, please vote. My gosh, please vote. And if you live in Florida where I live and you are tired of every single legitimate criticism of the worst Democratic nominee for governor we've had in a long time in Andrew Gillum, with all this this shady Tallahassee stuff he was doing when he was a mayor, if you are tired of being called a racist every time you open your mouth about Gillum when you couldn't give a damn about the color of his skin, then please get out and vote. The economy is doing great. Okay. On the social media front, moving on, because I've, I've received a number of emails about this. People are upset. And I, folks, I totally get it. I ask you all I ask with the emails. I don't mind the criticism. I only ask that you, if you send me emails, you don't open up with, I love you, but you're a jerk. Okay. Cause I'm not reading that. Yeah, no. I, you don't have to even tell me you love. Just tell me your criticism. You don't. Have, you know, like I told you that one guy, Joe, yesterday. Yeah. He said I'm not listening anymore. He emailed me back. He, I don't know his name. His, his Twitter, his his email thing says BF or something. I don't mention names anyway. But <laughs> it's funny. He writes back. He goes, I was just kidding. I'm really listening to you. He goes, If I would have known, I had to tell you I wasn't listening to you to get if my email read on the air. I, I would have written that email sooner. So to whoever you are, I'm not going to mention your name. I wouldn't anyway. Uh, I thank you. Welcome back. He actually is listening. He had to because he heard yesterday's show. Um, listen, on the, on the social media front, I know a lot of you are upset at my stance on this um, about not getting government involved in this. Now, I did finally get a positive email on this yesterday. I never spin your wheels. It has been overwhelmingly negative with people like, Dan, we need the government. We need political power to get a rein in on Facebook and Twitter because they're discriminating against conservatives. I totally understand but I'm not here to lie to you. I just want you to understand that. I'm here. This is how I genuinely feel, and I think I can back it up. I finally got a positive email on a guy who, Joe, candidly summed it up, I think, a lot better than I did. And he said, you know what, Dan? You're absolutely right on this. He said, because you know what's going to happen? Sooner or later, there will be an emergence of an alternate technology here to get us away from these liberal-dominated social media platforms. Folks, the same thing happened in cable news. Everybody thought, oh, man, there's nothing we can do about this. we got to listen to Cronkite and all this stuff. And eventually it happened. He said, the reason you're right about this government interference is the minute that alternate platform emerges, the same government rules used to regulate social media will regulate that new conservative platform out of existence. I said, amen, brother. Thank you, finally. Now... Having said that, opening up that way, I'm really excited about today's show, by the way, even though I'm doing double the work today. Joe and I have been like on the phone endlessly the last two days setting us up with yeah. George. You are right about one thing. There are certain areas where government intervention would be appropriate as a means to level the playing field, not to introduce more government power. Now, this is not me in any way backtracking. I'm always skeptical of government. But I read a story yesterday, it's in the show notes, and I, I, I humbly ask that you check out the show notes today for both the GoFundMe and four or five stories we have up at Bongino.com about campaigns and this one, um, uh, this one at the Washington Examiner that are really good. The Washington Examiner has a piece about the Susan B. Anthony um, list. Susan B. Anthony, uh, uh, that group is a pro-life group, Joe. They, I don't know if you heard this story, No, but they were running a number of Facebook ads that are, by the way, in no way controversial. They are just basic pro-life ads supporting the dignity of human life from conception on. I, I like the, the Susan B. Anthony, the group is a good one. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I'm not a member of the group. Disclosure: I I don't donate uh, to them. I but they are a very good group. I would. I just don't. Uh, I'm just giving you a disclosure so you understand where we stand here. Susan B. Anthony, their group put out a bunch of ads. Facebook has censored the ads. Why? I have no idea other than the fact that Facebook is full of a bunch of liberal hacks who are determined to impact this election by censoring uh, political or advocacy-based ads on issues. This is, this is important. This part is grotesque. Now, I've said this before. This is, again, this is not a change in position. I brought this up before. Joe, you, remember, you were here. Mm. When it comes to electioneering, this is actually an appropriate role for a fair, constitutionally limited government. Electioneering messages, the FEC has got to get involved here. Facebook cannot be permitted, given the importance of its platform, during an election season, especially the critical days before an election, can absolutely not be permitted to be censoring advocacy-based ads. They can't. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry. There is a role here for the FEC to limit what these social media platforms can do. They have a lot of power. It is concentrated power. In some cases, it's monopolistic in the case of Facebook. Even Google with Google Plus couldn't crack the Facebook monopoly on this uh, large form social media sharing picture sites, things like that. Yeah. The FEC has an absolutely appropriate role here to get in there and say, no, we're drawing the line at this. Every single ad. Now, to be clear, if it's uh, uh, if it doesn't break the law. I mean, I'm not suggesting groups can put out ads suggesting someone get hurt or break that. That's I I think that's obvious, but I want to be precise in my language. If it is an advocacy based ad, no matter how air quotes here, Joe, offensive Facebook considers it. Mm -hmm. If it is not in violation of any law and it's during an election season, then there is absolutely no way Facebook should be permitted to get away with this. None. Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, anyone electioneering no matter how quote offensive they think it is should that we there have to be ground rules on this have to be put your regular disclaimers in do whatever you need to do this ad paid for by susan b whatever joe armacost uh, running for governor whatever it may be fine i get it i'm all for disclosure but the fec has an absolutely appropriate role maybe you and i some of you who object to my keeping the government as maybe we can find some common ground on that Now, I've said this before. I'm bringing it up today in light of this new uh, breaking news. Read the story at the Washington Examiner. It's disgusting what they did to the Susan B. Anthony group, taking their ads down. Read the story. It's up there. It's short and sweet. I was tweeting about it yesterday because I was so furious about uh, what Facebook and Twitter are doing. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, I, I don't speak with forked tongue. I've been a victim of this myself. Facebook labels a lot of my posts as spam. Twitter's still banned us from running ads. Again, so... Please don't think, oh, well, Dan, you seem to be doing okay. No, we're getting screwed over ourselves. So uh, I, I speak here from someone with experience. Shine, shine, shine. <laughs> oh, all right. Let me get to this. I'm sorry I was a little behind today on the spots, but uh, today's show is really important. Again, setting up later. I got a lot more to get to. Today's show also brought to you by We The People Holsters. We The People custom-made holsters made here right in the USA. Best holster I've ever tried, most comfortable, hands down. They sent me a complimentary one in the beginning, and I absolutely love it. There is no better inside-the-pants holster I've ever had. Click. It's nice and secure. You can adjust it. The designs are awesome. When you see this thing, you're going to be like, wow. They're made right here in the USA. They do not use third-party molds. We the people holsters. They build their own molds for their own firearm holsters, and that way the fit is absolute precision. You get that little click when you insert it inside. It has four screws on the clip. You can adjust it. You can adjust the cant. You can adjust the ride. So you get that nice, comfortable fit when you wear it inside that belt line. You don't get it rubbing up against that hip bone. You know what I'm saying? Some of you out there carry that way. You know exactly what I'm talking about. These are the finest holsters out there. I would not take them on as a client otherwise. They have a tension screw. Tighten it up. You want the firearm to be in there a little more snugly? Loosen it up a little bit. You may want a little bit of a looser fit on there. That You want to, you know, you want to be able to extract it easier. It's, real, it's a turn of a screw. It's that simple. They have designs that change all the time. They have a Constitution one, camo one, thin red line, American flag. They are beautifully designed. They are priced at just $34, and they also come with a lifetime guarantee. But they're not really priced at $34 if you use promo code DAN, because you'll get $10 off, and it'll be just $24. Go to wethepeopleholsters.com slash DAN. That's wethepeopleholsters.com slash DAN. Wethepeopleholsters.com slash DAN. Get $10 off your first holster. Lifetime guarantee. $24 for the best holster you'll ever. Okie doke. 
Um, all right, moving on. I have an interesting article by David French at National Review, who, um, you know, David and I have some disagreements on on Trump and others, but uh, David's a reasonably smart guy, and I don't, um, I don't, you know, I'm not one of these grudge holding guys. It's you know, if you have something smart to say, I'm going to put it out there. Uh, interesting article at National Review in the show notes that I, I really would like you to read. It's it's uh, it's a little lengthy, but it's a very good one and it's a thoughtful one about Joe, the Democrats, and I'm quoting uh, David's piece here. They have a rich white progressive problem (laughs) and i read this caught my eye i'm on their mailing list the national review the headline i was like they well i I knew where he was going with it but i'm like i'm sitting on the elliptical machine in my gym like i gotta read this one because it's something you and i discussed a Mm -hmm. long time ago this this schism in the democrat party now let me give you the lead first uh, because this is important the uh, there's always this unnecessary attention on schisms within the Republican Party. I mean unnecessary because it's just, it goes on for, oh, look at these Tea Party guys versus the establishment. The media loves to highlight that because they, like, they want to ha- highlight chaos above the Republicans. But there's real chaos brewing in the Democrat Party right now. And ladies and gentlemen, to keep tying it back to Levin's opening, if you get out and vote and we keep the House and win seats in the Senate, you can expect the chaos after the election in the Democrat Party to be... Epic on a grand scale you haven't seen before. What's the problem? There are two things breaking out and 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 basically cleaving the Democrat Party in half right now. Racial determinism and secularism. French's piece is a good one and explains how the Democrats' rich white super liberal base, right? Has significantly different feelings about the two things I just mentioned than the actual people who would be impacted if those things were in fact true. In other words, there is a growing portion of the Democrat Party, this rich white liberal base, that believes that race is determinant of nearly everything. And David has some poll numbers in there. In other words, if if you happen to be black or Hispanic or a minority, that you are determined, uh, that, that that determines your outcome in life, not your work ethic, your education, um, your esprit de corps, your drive, your grit, as that book, that famous book wrote about, about grit and the ability to persevere. Mm -hmm. Well, what's the problem with that, Joe? Well, the problem with that is obvious. Number one, it's a soft bigotry. What, because you're black all of a sudden, you can't overcome this? It's so dumb, number one. But secondly, Joe, black and Hispanic voters don't feel that way. Think about what I'm saying, okay? Process this, because this is important, folks. It's not a small point. It speaks to why it matters to you is it speaks to chaos in the Democrat Party and a party that is increasingly losing touch with people on the ground who have been diehards for them in the past. Black voters, Hispanic voters, women, minority voters. The rich, white, progressive base, the Tom Steyers of the world, Mm -hmm. the climate activists who can't stand Donald Trump, actually believe that the color of your skin and your biological anatomy parts you know, determining your sex there, that they will determine everything, that there's almost nothing you can do to escape racial and gender determinism. The problem is, again, black, Hispanic, and female voters don't feel that way. David has poll numbers in there that show it. A larger number of rich, white progressives, Joe, believe that being black is somehow an obstacle to your success in life when actual black voters don't agree. Those two... Do you understand how those two universes can't coexist within the Democrat Party? They can't. And black voters should be asking rich white progressives like the Tom Steyers and others of the world, mm-hmm. right? I don't know how Steyer feels about racial determinism. He's more into the climate stuff. But you get my point. They should be asking them, well, I don't understand. Why are you suggesting somehow that I can't succeed? What is it about me that you object so much to that I somehow am incapable of success? Joe, is that not an obvious question? That's pretty obvious, Dan. Pretty obvious, right? Is it not? I mean, how is that not soft bigotry? Listen, this is the, 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 the sick, bizarre, soft bigotry paternalism of the left, right? Listen, you men and women are black and Hispanic. We've got you. Don't worry. You guys will not be able to succeed without our help. Wait, what? Wait, wait, come again on that? Wait, hold on. Red flag on the field under the hood for review here. Hold on. We got to review that play. Are you somehow suggesting that without the help of rich, white, um, urban and suburban progressives that I am incapable of success? Is that, is that what you're saying? Let me just get you on the record there. 
<laughs> perfect guy for that. Howard Dean, he probably believes that too. <laughs> nice timing. Ladies and gentlemen, that, how is that not soft bigotry? Racial determinism is, a, is a, an unquestionably growing Grand Canyon-like schism between these two sides of the Democrat Party. The rich white progressives who believe they're somehow helping by discriminating against black and Hispanic voters they think are incapable of success on their own and actual black and Hispanic voters who don't feel that way. Those two universes cannot coexist. Secondly, French brings up another point about this growing brand of secularism within the Democrat Party. How now, Joe, it's not just about being non-religious. There's a difference. It's about being anti-religious. It's not just now that, oh, you know what? We're going to leave spirituality, faith, God, big R rights out of our campaign speeches and our Democrat campaign platforms. It's about what we talked about the other day, you and I, Joe. It's about actively attacking people who are religious. Yes, sir. We got to force those Christians to bake cakes, force them to sign these marriage certificates or they're going to go to jail. It's about an active secularism that is anti-religious, not non-religious. Why does that matter? Well, number one, it's wrong. But secondly, Joe, why it matters is obvious. The schism, again, between black and Hispanic and minority voters and these white progressive base that thinks they're helping is dramatic. Joe lives in Maryland. I ran in Maryland. That is a large portion of black and Hispanic voters. I did a lot of door knocking. I don't pretend to speak for any community ever. All I can tell you is in my experience, these are deeply spiritual and religious communities, not everyone, but large portions of them. And they don't want to hear every single day about how religious people are awful and horrible and need to be attacked. This can't, folks, these two universes can't exist. Do you understand the determinism, racial determinism cannot exist? Those two sides of it. We need to help you with the rich white progressives. No, we're good. Thank you. Just get out of our way. Secondly, religion, bad. Really, black and Hispanic voters. Really? Um, that's not how I feel. Folks, there's an awakening going on. People are starting to get hip to this. Trump's approval rating amongst Hispanic voters and black voters is going up dramatically. There is an awakening going on out there. People's eyes are open and they will never be closed again. The Democrats, this article is a good one. I know some of you may not like David's, some of his anti-Trump stuff, but read the piece. It's a good, it is worth your time. I would not steer you wrong. This is a schism that is going to grow, folks. The schism within the Republican Party is healable. There are Tea Party types conservative types, libertarian types who are absolutely committed to small government and low taxes. We can pull the establishment swamp rats over in our direction. How? We get them just down to lower tax rates, the tax rates and less spending. We just pull them over there. It's not an ideological difference. It's a, it's a difference on the, on the margin. I didn't explain that well. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say this, something. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I know. I can see where I, I'm watching you there. So I use the audience on Budsman. Thank you. The, the difference on the Democrat side are two competing worldviews. One person thinks two plus two equals four. One person thinks two plus two equals seven. Both of those things cannot be true. In other words, race either determines your outcome in life or it doesn't. There's no, there, there is no, you, you can't have this, these, those two ideas exist. You can't have the idea that religion is bad and religion is good at the same time. It's either bad or good. There's a schism there that cannot be healed. That will lead to a fracture in the Democrat Party that will alienate Democrat voters. On the Republican side, there are Republicans who believe we should seek the lowest tax rates possible, roughly around 15 to 20 percent based on Hauser's Law. Those are the, uh, a lot of the libertarians, the conservatives. There's the fair tax uh, uh, guys out there and ladies. Other Republicans generally believe in limited government. They just don't. They're like, ah, well, maybe we got to keep the tax rates at 28 percent. We can pull them down in our direction. It's not, a, it's not an ideological difference. It's a difference of degree. I say the tax rate should be 20. You say they should be 28. But we both agree that government's not the solution. That's simply what I'm saying. The Republican Party can heal. We can pull them over to our side. The Democrats, that schism is not mendable. You either believe religion is a good thing or you believe religion is some kind of a plague on society. You can't, there's no middle ground. The Democrats are going to have a real sincere problem with that.
All right, I'm going to do this last read so I can motor through the end of the show now and set up the Papadopoulos interview for tonight. So if you're listening to these shows back-to-back, which many of you will do, they flow seamlessly and you are prepared because the interview with George, we're going to get right into it. I'm going to assume you have the background, so give me a moment just to set this up. All right, uh, today's show finally brought to you by our good friend. I love this product, by the way. This is my, one of my favorite new sponsors. Works like a charm. You know, me and my wife really enjoy our date nights out. I always say uh, I'm not one for marriage advice to others. You know, we've had our own ups and downs, but I can tell you right now, if you commit to learning something new about your spouse on a date night once or twice a, a week or even once or twice a month, your marriage will be far better for it. Mine has. We, I, I, t- I tell her on Saturday nights, tell me something I don't know about you. Um, and it's been great. So sometimes we'll share a few adult sodas, uh, some beverages. You know what I'm saying, Joe. And, you know, remember a few years ago when you could go out, have a few drinks and bounce back in the morning? I can't anymore. But I found a way to bounce back. It's called morning recovery, just like the good old days. It's engineered to help your body detox and rehydrate after drinking, having alcohol. Uh, Folks, the founder of the company has a great story. He was in South Korea. And all these businessmen would go out for these post-business soirees and have a few cocktails. They'd come in the morning ready to rock and roll. Meanwhile, he was like, what's going on? The reason is there's a burgeoning market for this stuff over there, and he tapped in and made a better product than they have. That's how we founded this company. Make morning recovery your new pre-drink routine. Drink one morning recovery before you go to bed. Help your body detox, rehydrate, and bounce right back so you can be your fuller self and do more the next day. It was designed by an ex-Tesla engineer and world-class scientist. Morning recovery combines the latest research and best ingredients to boost your liver's natural ability to break down alcohol. Its secret is DHM, a plant-based superhero ingredient shown to help accelerate decomposition of toxins in your liver, and it tastes great with over 1.5 million bottles sold. If you don't love it, you get your money back. No reason not to try it. Go to morningrecoverydrink.com slash Dan. That's morningrecoverydrink.com slash Dan for 20% off your entire order. Provide them, you know, you have a party or something like that. There's alcohol, but bring a few of those. You know, obviously always drink responsibly. We all know that. Get 20% off your entire order on a six-pack, 12-pack, 24-pack, or the 84-party pack at morningrecoverydrink.com slash Dan, morningrecoverydrink.com slash All right. All righty then. All Let's right. dig right into our boy, Papa Dizzle. Papa, Papa D. D. <laughs> Some lady says, I hate when I call him Papa Dizzle. Listen, I'm sorry, folks. All right? I'm just the Dan Bongino show. I've got my little quirks. All right? So- uh, last night, as I was giving this speech at the Vero Beach Book Center during my one and only book signing, I summed it up this way. Folks, this was obviously an operation to target Trump. Papadopoulos became an interesting target for them. But he came, became an interesting target this way. They had initially plans, uh, a, a, an initial plan. We'll call it plan A. Plan A, plan B, and plan C. The way this now they weren't initially plan A, plan B, and plan C, but why? Because plan A was supposed to be the plan to target the Trump team and spy on. Them. Right, right, well, right. I, I'm not suggesting someone else said, "Hey, what's our backup plan?" They didn't need a backup plan because they thought uh, they thought plan A would work. We don't have a strategy. They, they don't. They didn't have a strategy. Their strategy was to take down Trump. They didn't think they'd be exposed. Plan A. This is kind of 628 summed up before the Papadopoulos interview. Plan A with the Obama administration to spy on and target the Trump team and potentially others was put in effect to gather information on the Trump operation to ensure they won the election and the event the election was close to release October surprises right before the November ballot to make sure that Trump was not elected. Ladies and gentlemen, they never, ever thought they would get caught. Nobody in the D.C. bubble, in the New York media bubble, nobody thought Trump was going to win. They thought he was going to lose in a landslide. Not only did they think he was going to lose, they thought it would be the end of conservatism for eons. Plan A was an attempt, and we know this. None of this is conspiratorial nonsense. This is all easily researched. You can check it out on the internet yourself. What? You hear that? Oh, yeah, sorry. There's a, if you heard that, folks, that's like a lawnmower guy. I mean, you can leave that in. That's like a lawnmower dude in my background. <laughs> Joe's like, what is that sound? Yeah, so I make it my home studio. So once in a while, you get the lawnmower dude running around. So plan A was this. Plan A was an attempt to unmask and listen in on the conversations of, of, of uh, Trump uh, and potentially others. Trump folks. Now, why does that matter? Well, it matters because there's a hero in this story. The hero in this story is Mike Rogers. So they're using these unmaskings, which, ladies and gentlemen, were, were 
where you where, there was a reverse targeting effort that went on. Now, what is unmasking? Why does it matter? Unmasking is when you unmask the identity of a subject you're listening in on or or gaining access to privy conversations or emails. Now, the way unmasking is supposed to work is if there is a foreign target. This is designed the the, uh, the listening in process. Let's call it. I'm trying to keep the language simple here to not uh, not lose anyone. The listening in process is designed to target foreign targets. Now, if someone um, domestically in the United States is caught up while listening in on a foreign target in that conversation, the United States can unmask them. The Obama administration can unmask their identity. The Obama administration engaged in historic numbers of unmaskings. Now, you may say, well, Dan, okay, great. Well, how do we know these people weren't terrorists on U.S. soil? Why are you suggesting somehow that Trump team members were involved in this? Because we know Trump team members were involved in it. How do you think they got the conversation with Mike Flynn by osmosis? They got it by unmasking Mike Flynn, the, the uh, appointed national security advisor at the beginning of the Trump administration. They got the recordings of Mike Flynn because there was a conversation with the Soviet ambassador. Oh, Soviet ambassador. Gosh, I'm thinking with the, with the Russian ambassador. Excuse me. I always have that in my head because I'm so skeptical of the Russians all the time. With the Russian ambassador. I had Reagan in my head, too. That's how they got the conversation. Some of the contents, which may have been leaked to David Ignatius at the Washington Post. Now, what happened with the unmasking? It did not go away entirely. It went on up until the end. We know historic numbers of unmaskings happen. We know they use people's names who to this day will not take credit for it. Samantha Power being one of them, the ambassador to the UN, who says, hey, you may have unmasked the identities of these people you were listening in on, but I didn't request it. We know Susan Rice was one of the officials doing this. So that was plan A. Plan A was likely, likely, and this is where it's an, I, I'll be candid with you folks. It's a bit of an open question still. I'm not willing to entirely commit to this yet. But the evidence is also strong that the metadata database that the NSA has, a, 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 basically a cornucopia of information uh, that the, the, NSA, the NSA has in a database, that that database was being accessed by private contractors. Now, we know that that happened. The access to private contractors is not up for speculation. Uh, Mike Rogers demanded an audit, and in that audit and the review presented to the FISA court, that was disclosed in a document that there was a lot of suspicious activity tapping into this database. Think of it like a collection of all your emails and texts that the NSA can get a hold of, right? So that's kind of a simplification, but you get the point. Who are those private contractors, folks? As I said to you before, those private contractors, in some cases brought on by the FBI, have a legitimate purpose. If I'm going to tap into the NSA database to read Joe's emails and Joe is uh, Joe's fluent in Russian and some of the emails are in, uh, in Russian, then the FBI, if they don't have a Russian translator, legitimately can go out and contract with language translators, which is kind of fascinating because Fusion GPS brought on the company uh, paid by Hillary to gather the oppo on Trump. Fusion GPS brought on a sp person with, spe uh, uh, with a specialty in Russian, uh, you know, Russian history and Russian language, and Nelly Orr, whose, whose husband was Bruce Orr, working at the DOJ, and who we know was meeting with Christopher Steele, paid for by Fusion GPS. What I'm trying to tell you is the connections here are unquestionable. What exactly was being done with the database is still, in my mind, a bit of an open question. We know there was suspicious activity. Was that specific? This is the big open question. Was that specific activity tied into searches, unauthorized searches about members of the Trump team? Big open question. That plan gets shut down when Mike Rogers adds, uh, asks for an audit. Then we, we see the move to plan B. And this is all happening. I don't want to make them out like they're exclusive plans. The unmaskings went on till the end. The unmaskings went on all the way to the, probably the, the last weeks of the Obama administration. But when they see that this metadata thing is getting shut down, these queries, because the courts got a hold of it and Mike Rogers got a hold of it, they move on to plan B, which is a use of the FISA court. This is where Papadopoulos comes in. You have to have plan B to understand why Papadopoulos is necessary. Right around March of 2016, Donald Trump is giving an interview with a, an editorial board, at the New York Times. He's asked by a New York Times uh, editorial board member, he's asked about his foreign policy team. Um, he's asked in kind of an insulting kind of way, Joe. Uh, remember, Donald Trump's an outsider at that point. He's having a really difficult time attracting establishmentarians, Joe, people who have experience in the foreign policy space because they're being scooped up by Rubio and Cruz. 
um, Carson and others, as a matter of fact, even Jeb in the beginning. What happens? You have to understand the dynamics of the meeting to understand why Papadopoulos is important. Joe, he's sitting in the meeting and the New York Times people are trying to hammer him as being unserious and not having professional advisors. Are you tracking with me? Yeah. Because all of them had jumped on the Cruz and Rubio campaign and others. Right. So as they're hitting him, well, who are your advisors? Trump whips out this list and says, well, here are my advisors. And on that list of names he reads out, he reads out to the editorial people, George Papadopoulos and Carter Page. When those names become public, they instantly become targets. Now, in my opinion, why do they become targets? I believe they became targets because officials, let's say, already had their eye on Carter Page. Carter Page had assisted had assisted the United States government and the FBI. They had assisted them in the past in the Buryakov case. Carter Page acted in, in, in support of the United States government in nailing a couple Russian spies. So when the FBI and intelligence community officials see the name of Carter Page creep up, they probably think to themselves, all right, we got a Russian connection, even though the Russian connection was Carter Page helping them nail Russian spies. On the Papadopoulos front, why does he become a target and not anyone else on the Trump team? Remember, Trump's team is rather large, Joe. Surely they can find a way to dig up or fabricate a crime on someone else. Why Papadopoulos? Folks, Papadopoulos has some experience overseas. He has some experience dealing with some, some uh, geopolitical issues, energy issues overseas. I think they see him as an easy target. And I think they see him, given his youth uh, and, and, his, and his, I don't want to say lack of experience. He's not, George is, is a bright guy. But given his lack of, of senior level experience on the campaign, I think they see him as an easy way in. They know if they can get Papadopoulos and Carter Page implicated in the FISA court uh, on this Russian collusion scandal that they have the two hop rule in effect. In other words, if they can get a FISA warrant, that they can then get their emails. But this is important, folks, because a logical question you may have right now is, well, why target low-level guys if you're looking to get opposition research and looking to tap into the phone calls of Donald Trump and others, right? Mm-hmm. Well, in a regular court, yes, you would have to get a warrant against Trump and then against Flynn and then against other guys to listen to their calls. But with the FISA court, you have this two-hop rule, which worked out beautifully for them. So this works out great on two fronts. Think about with the Bureau and the IC guys. I'm not talking about the rank and file guys. I'm talking about the upper-level management people that really screwed this up, which is important. They're probably sitting there when they hear the name of Carter Page and Papadopoulos Joe become public in, in March, right? They're probably sitting there going, yes! Yes, beautiful. Remember Carter Page? Call that agent up who worked with Carter Page in that Russian spy case. Yeah, is that the same guy? Same guy. Nice, nice. So number one, you nail him because you have some experience with him. But secondly, you get this two hop rule, meaning once you get the emails and phone calls of Carter Page, you get the hop to the people he emailed, and then you get the hop to the people he emailed after that. The other people emailed, meaning you entrap the entire Trump network. Now, a couple of questions here. Was there a FISA on Papadopoulos too? If you can hear me in the background, I'm actually writing this down because I have a whole series of questions that have not been asked uh, of George by other people. And George is the key. Papa D is the key. Was there a FISA on George too? Was, was there a FISA on George because George had experience dealing with energy issues overseas? What exactly was the connection here and who was feeding people information about George Papadopoulos that led them to see him as a target. Remember, it's the FBI themselves in that New York Times December piece. It's the FBI themselves, people who are feeding them uh, sourcing that indicates that it was the George Papadopoulos uh, interview uh, or sit down with Alexander Downer that starts this whole thing. So plan B is to target Papadopoulos. Now, let me just quickly cover plan C because I want to move back to Papa D and set this thing up. Plan C is the cleanup operation later, right? Once Trump wins the election, they realize that they're going to that the, the spying operation is going to get exposed. They're crystal clear on this. They know everything's going to come out because Donald Trump's the commander in chief and is going to have access to it. Mike Rogers pops up the Trump Tower ten days after the election, um, uh, unannounced to the Obama administration. The Obama administration freaks out. Uh, I always tell you, Mike Rogers, I think, waited the 10 days because that's the perfect amount of time to set up a skiff for Waka and other, maybe they could talk more securely. Maybe it was just a logistics issue. But he goes up to the to Trump Tower. He briefs Trump after the election. Trump immediately decamps Trump Tower, heads to Bedminster, New Jersey. 
Now does a lot of that wiretapping stuff make sense? Yes, it probably does. That wiretapping tweet by Donald Trump. I'm pretty convinced Mike Rogers told him something that Trump maybe misconstrued a bit in that tweet. Now, that cleanup operation has to happen because Rogers tells Trump what's going on and Trump knows about it. So the left leaks stories to Russian collusion about fake Russian collusion to the media. Trump fires Comey. They use that as a predicate to pull on a special counsel and Bob Mueller. Now, why does Bob Mueller's appointment matter? Mueller's appointment matters for some very crystal clear reasons. There you are. Mueller's appointment matters because Mueller is deeply connected to all of the people that are trying to sweep this garbage away. Now, this is important. It's not just the spying scandal, the Obama administration and Hillary and all these other people need to sweep away. Plan C, the appointment of Mueller. They need to sweep away the Benghazi stuff, the IRS stuff, the Uranium One stuff. The Obama administration is knee deep in scandal that's never going to go away. And now it's all going to come out in the wash. So they've got to keep the attention on Trump. So who's the perfect guy to appoint? Bob Mueller. Bob Mueller was the FBI director. When a very specific investigation that went horribly for the FBI and otherwise happened. I'll make the connection here in a second. Bob Mueller's the FBI director during the Enron investigation. Remember that, the Enron investigation. During the Enron investigation, the case completely, they get these convictions, they're overturned, it's a complete disaster. Who is the lead investigator on the Enron investigation? Andy Weissman. Who? Andy Weissman. Bob Mueller's bulldog right now, his chief guy on the Trump investigation. Andy Weissman can't stand Donald Trump. We know that from emails he sent to Sally Yates celebrating her refusal to implement Trump's travel ban. Right. Now, you may say, what does the Enron case have to do with it? Oh, 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 I'm getting to that. Who else worked on the Enron case? Oh, Catherine Rumler. Catherine Rumler. Who is Catherine Rumler? Catherine Rumler is the Obama White House counsel, also known as the fixer. Catherine Rumler was Obama's fixer for the IRS scandal, the Secret Service scandal, the Benghazi talking points. Catherine Rumler has all the dirt on Obama. She knows the whole routine. She knows Andy Weissman, who's investigating Trump. They worked together on the Enron case. They worked together. Mueller was the FBI director. Conveniently... And ladies and gentlemen, this is all out there. Again, it's not it's in my book. It's out there on the internet. You can look this up yourself. You don't need to listen to me. You can check it out all yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Catherine Rumler incredibly surfaces again in the Trump investigation. The Obama White House fixer, the White House counsel for Obama, shows up in the Trump investigation. A, a source Mueller's using to target Trump, an informant, has a lawyer. He finds a lawyer. Who's his lawyer? Catherine Rumler, who worked with Andy Weissman on the Enron case when Mueller was the FBI director, and who was also Obama's White House counsel, is a lawyer for a source in the investigation into Trump. They all know each other. He's the cleanup guy. Who was the uh, United States attorney on the Uranium One case? The Uranium One case where the a, a FBI paid informant who was paid $50,000 told the FBI that the Russians were helping the Iranians build their nuclear program as we were simultaneously giving them rights to our uranium one, our uranium through the uranium one deal. There was a precursor case to that, the 10X case. All this, folks, this all needs to be swept away. All of it. Everything Rumler was involved in. What better way than to get involved with Mueller and keep the heat on Donald Trump to make sure that the, the, uh, the investigations focus on him and not what happened in the Obama term. Who was the United States attorney on the uh, precursor to the Uranium One case? Rod Rosenstein, who signs the fourth FISA warrant. Rod Rosenstein. Yes, that Rod Rosenstein. Mm -hmm. Bob Mueller was the FBI director. Folks, all of this stuff had to go away. Bob Mueller's the perfect guy. Now, how does this relate to Papadopoulos later? Why did George Papadopoulos become such a serious target? If George Papadopoulos, if they really believed he had colluded with the Russians and was some kind of a Russian carve-out, Russian cutout, Russian spy, Russian accomplice in trying to hack the election, 
How is it that with all of the assets of the United States government, all these highly trained professional prosecutors, all they could get him for was screwing up a date? Now, I've got a question for George later I want to ask, too, which is, do you notice in the statement of offense that everything's spoken? In, uh, and by the way, you know who you are out there. Thanks for the, the tip on this. I'll, I'll, I'll get to some of your stuff. You, I, I can't say anymore, but you get it. Um, I have a really good guy out there who's very smart. Did you ever notice, Joe, in the statement of offense against George Papadopoulos, they're very cryptic about the dates? Everything is early or late March. Or- oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, now, now, an interesting point, Joe, which I'll ask George mm-hmm. later. And it's and again, let me get you to the lead. What I'm talking about: here. why this relentless focus by Bob Mueller of silencing George Papadopoulos? Is it possible that this was never about George Papadopoulos? It was about the United States government, government officials working with foreign government intelligence entities to set up George Papadopoulos, and they had to shut this guy up. Now, if they had to shut him up and he was an actual Russian spy, Joe, they could charge him with espionage, put him away forever. But they couldn't because he didn't do it. What if there's exculpatory evidence indicating George Papadopoulos, and we'll ask him later, in his conversations, wasn't interested in this Russian dirt or relaying this Russian dirt or anything like it? So what do they do? They get him on a false statements to the FBI charge. But how, what's the easiest way to rope him in on false statements, Joe? Not providing actual dates. That way, if he gets a date wrong, they can say, oh, look, he lied. In other words, the statement of offense is unbelievably uh, very cryptic about actual dates. In other words, there's an easy way. Now, George has admitted to certain things, and we'll discuss this later. So I don't want to be overly uh, flowery or Pollyanna-ish on this. But if you are really looking to get someone on a false statements charge, Joe, um, if you're, you're not looking to investigate a crime, I'm looking to get you on false statements, right? Right. Mm-hmm. If I want to get to the bottom of Russian collusion and not just lock you up for lying to the FBI, Joe, I'm not really worried about the dates you met someone or didn't. I'm worried about your collusion with the Russians. Right. So it's in my interest at that point, Joe, to say to you, hey, here's a calendar, George. All right. Here's what we know about your contacts with this guy and that guy. What did he tell you? Was he trying to, uh, you know, infiltrate our election system how exactly did this go down is this the date you met him uh maybe maybe not all right you want to clarify that you don't have to help the guy out i'm just suggesting that if your real goal here is to stop russian collusion or investigate someone for espionage you're not concerned about a guy getting a date wrong or being a week off on when he met you only do that and get the date wrong and refer cryptically to dates so he confuses it if you're looking to lock him up for a false statements charge because you don't have anything on collusion. Does that make sense, folks? They, if I'm walking in there and I really believe Joe Armacost colluded mm-hmm. with the Russians and the Trump team to infiltrate, overthrow, uh, uh, a, a alter United States election results, the questions are going to be targeted towards that. What did, when did you meet the Russians? Why did you talk to them? Did you set up this meeting? When you set up this meeting, what did they say? What kind of dirt did they give you? Was it emails? Was it classified emails? Folks, the questions are all about meetings that never happened and dates that are never specific. In other words, I'm suggesting to you that they went in there with a already knowing George was not guilty of any kind of espionage. They were only going in there to do what, Joe? To shut him up. Yeah. And the only way to do it was to get him confused about the dates and get him mm-hmm. on the record screwing up the dates or misleading anyone about the dates so they could lock him up on a false statements charge to shut him up so he wouldn't talk about. So he wouldn't talk about the fact that I believe he was set up. Now, to George's credit, he has been coming out publicly and been speaking about this. And we're going to address a lot of these questions later. Let me just give you a bit of a preview. It's assuming, of course, nothing happens. I'm, just, you know, if he gets, uh, <laughs> yeah. if he gets caught up in traffic, we may have to do it like tomorrow. So, but we are planning on today at six p.m. Who set him up with Mifsud? Remember, Mifsud, Joseph Mifsud, is the Maltese professor. Mifsud is the Maltese professor who starts this whole thing by allegedly telling Papadopoulos about a bunch of Russian dirt. Without that Russian dirt thing, this case does not exist. Who did? Who set that meeting up? I have my suspicions, ladies and gentlemen, who set that meeting up and who Mifsud really was. I want to hear it from George directly. I have some suspicions about who was at that meeting. A lot of it's written from a perspective suggesting it was recorded. 
Recorded by who? Mifsud? I thought Mifsud was working for the Russians. We'll ask that later. All right. Don't miss out on yesterday's show. This was, um, excuse me, on later today's show. This is a little bit of a preview. Uh, please listen to this one before you listen to the other one. It sets it up perfectly because we're going to get right into the interview with George later. All right. Look for it tonight. Uh, we'll get it up right after we do it. Joe's going to work on it as hard as he can. I appreciate it. Please recommend the show to your friends. Uh, subscribe on iTunes, subscribe on uh, iHeartRadio, and listen at Bongino.com. It's all free, but it helps us move up the charts. We really appreciate it. See you all later tonight. Good day, sir. You just heard the Dan Bongino Show. Get more of Dan online anytime at conservativereview.com. You can also get Dan's podcasts on iTunes or SoundCloud. And follow Dan on Twitter 24-7 at DBongino.